Our reading this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go. Said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Good morning. I'm Sharon, pastor of Discipleship and Care. What a glorious new year to wake up to, wasn't it? Happy New Year and a beautiful sight to wake up and look at fresh snow, fresh start to a beautiful new year. And I'm also wondering what you're looking for. What do you see as you look ahead to this new year? You probably guessed we've had a lot of talk today about sight. And that's the theme for today's passage. And the gift of sight is such an integral part of who we are. So much, we can't even imagine what it is to be without it. Today we're going to talk about this whole aspect of sight Supposed to work. Yes. There he goes. Okay. (laughs) We have new sight for a brand new year. And what does that look like for us? Now, you're probably very familiar with one of the most um, well-known American people who was blind, and that is Helen Keller. And Helen had a serious illness when she was 19 months old, and she lost both her hearing and her sight. And you probably know the story of her teacher, Ann Sullivan, who came and helped Helen learn to communicate, helped her to see in a new way by using language that was spelled into her hand. And so Helen learned what it was to see and hear in a new kind of way. Now, I want you to help me in this, and kids, you can do that back, back here, too. I want us to imagine, for just a moment, what it might be like to not see. So close your eyes tight. Take your hands and cover them. No peeking. No peeking. You can't see anything, but I want you to use your other senses and see if you can tell what I'm going to be doing, okay? Use your senses. No peeking. No peeking. Can you tell what I'm doing? I'll try to do it right by the microphone. Can you hear that? What am I doing? Pouring some water. What am I doing now? Ah, tasting some water. Yes. You can open your eyes now. There is something about not having sight that heightens our other senses, isn't there? And today, even as Pastor Nancy said, and as we've sung about, there's something about seeing spiritually the eyes of our heart that is a unique way of seeing as well. So this passage we're looking at today is really all about that. 
the whole idea of the way of Jesus. So let's go back and do a little context. We've been in this Gospel of Mark for a while, talking about what it is that Jesus is calling us to as disciples. Jesus, now what? Now what? And we've been talking about how Jesus has been on his way from his ministry, his public ministry up in Galilee, down the way to Jerusalem. And the story we're going to find today is he's pretty close to Jerusalem. I don't know if you heard it in the text, but what city was he by? What city? Jericho is where this happened. And Jericho is just 18 miles northeast of Jerusalem. So Jesus is getting close on his way to Jerusalem. And we know, too, that this journey wasn't just a physical journey crossing roads, but it was a discipleship journey as well. It was a way that Jesus was trying to help his disciples to see more clearly who he was and what it means to follow him. And you might remember this. Were the disciples getting it? Not really. They weren't seeing as clearly as Jesus wanted them to. They had a hard time seeing clearly. Helen Keller said this way, and it might have been true of the disciples, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Jesus had a clear vision of where he was going, and his disciples had yet to grasp that vision. But on this journey from north of Galilee into Jerusalem, this way of Jesus, he's trying to teach them and us what it means to follow. Now, if you have your Bibles, you might want to skip back to Mark chapter 8 and just take a peek at that because this whole journey, I'm going to go back to that slide, to just that whole journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem, it's put in those couple of chapters and Mark starts that part with the healing of a blind man. But this was a different healing. You may remember some of this story. He takes the man who's brought to him, he takes him outside the village at that time. It was a private healing, in a sense, not in public. And he spits and touches his eyes and opens his eyes. And the man says, "Um, I can see somewhat. It looks like people walking around. They look like trees. Interesting. And so Jesus touches the man's eyes a second time and he opens his eyes and then he can see clearly and he goes about his way. It's a picture here that we need more than one touch from Jesus to see clearly. And the disciples needed more than one touch to see clearly. But now we come to this story right before Jesus enters Jerusalem and we find out that we all need this miraculous reawakening to new sight. The prophet Isaiah wrote about this centuries before, and you can kind of see this theme all the way through Mark, these things in Isaiah, because Isaiah was talking to a people who might have been blind too, and he said it this way, You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. Do we see many things but pay no attention? You know, blindness, deafness are much more than physical realities. And so we meet Bartimaeus in this way. And what is he going to help us see along the way of Jerusalem? So here's just a little sketch of where we're going. Thank you, Heather. I think she's doing it for me. I'll put this away. They're always back there helping, and they're such a great gift. Thank you. But this is where we're going today. We start with this condition that Bartimaeus is, a limiting condition. Then we hear his cry for mercy, a pointed question. 
and then a new direction. So blindness. Bartimaeus was certainly in a limiting condition. In those days, if you were blind, there was no way to earn a living except to beg, unless you were from a very, very wealthy family. So it could have been that Bartimaeus was not only blind, but in poverty. And so people in that era would often take their cloaks and sit out along the main thoroughfare outside the gate of the city in order to beg and get alms, get contributions from people who went by. They would call out to them so that they would recognize they needed some help. They wanted people to be generous to them. And that's where Bartimaeus was, sitting alongside the road just outside of Jerusalem. And he has heard of this Jesus. And so when he hears that Jesus is coming by, he is ready. He is primed. He wants to speak out to him. His limiting condition didn't stop him crying out for mercy. There's a picture painted of this by Carl Heinrich Bloch in the um, 1800s. He did a whole series of pictures of the life of Jesus. And here I hope you can see a little bit this man really looking destitute, reaching out because he hears Jesus is coming by. But we know from the text that he cried twice. A cry for mercy. He heard him, this crowd coming. He used his other senses and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And of course the people around him said, ah, don't bother him. Jesus is on his way. Don't, just be quiet. Just be quiet. But he calls out a second time. Son of David, have mercy on me, he calls. You know, in a sense, his words, son of David, are like a prelude. Because if you're going to go to the next chapter in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus himself is entering a city on a donkey, and the people are calling him son of David. So Bartimaeus has some awareness of who this Jesus is, even though he's never seen him with his eyes. In a sense, even though Bartimaeus is blind, he has spiritual sight and insight. He saw what he needed, and he needed mercy. He saw in Jesus somebody who could solve his need, who could heal him. He saw the possibility. He grasped the opportunity. And even those, those around him didn't want him to press into Jesus. He trusted his own vision. And he continued to call out and call out because he knew the one who could restore his sight. And here's the beautiful part in this passage. It says in the scripture, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. He heard the cry and he stopped. He wasn't in a hurry. He didn't ignore it. Even today, Jesus stops when he hears our call for mercy. Maybe you had something this past year where you were calling out to God for mercy. He stopped. He heard you. He listened. Mercy. Mercy, which is not receiving what we deserve, but receiving what God has given so freely to us. Jesus, have mercy on us. Stop. We can't make it through life on our own. And Jesus stops. And he calls to the blind man, to Bartimaeus, to come to him. And Bartimaeus gets up, leaves his cloak behind. Maybe he was like some of our kids, trying to find their way. Maybe someone helped him. 
And he comes to Jesus. And here's the interesting thing, this pointed question. You would think Jesus would know exactly what was needed there, of course. But there in verse 51, he says, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? That seems strange, doesn't it? But perhaps, you know, Bartimaeus wanted a, a mercy, mercy to be shown by getting a big donation or by helping him connect with other people in the community. Or, but I think Jesus' question has a purpose beyond that. Jesus' question helps him, Bartimaeus, focus. Helps him to focus and say, what do I really want Jesus to do for me? When Jesus asks that question, he's wanting to be clear. I don't know if you've ever had it when you've prayed and you just pray, Lord, Lord, and you, what do you want God to do for you? Pray with spe- something specific. That's what he's saying to this blind man. He's cried for mercy out of his poverty. And so Bartimaeus says to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, I just want to see. I just want to see. That's the question that's the most important question for us, too. The most important question God may ask you, what do you want me to do for you? The trouble is we usually give the wrong answer. And I think it's because we're often clouded. Our faith is very limited. We're clouded by the things that are right in front of us. We think we want that. And Jesus might have to ask us two or three times, what do you really want me to do for you? Because he has the answer right in front of us. Like Helen Keller said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Jesus asks you and I the same question. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus simply in humility and faith says, I want to see. And Jesus doesn't have to even touch him. He just says, go. Your faith has healed you. Go. After being healed, Bartimaeus does something that shows the extent of his faith. He leaves behind that cloak. He gets up from where he was and he starts to follow Jesus. You see, he'd thrown off that cloak before. That was the way he earned his living, gathering those gifts from people. But now he leaves that behind, and he goes after Jesus, throwing off that cloak, showing he's not going to hold on to that past. He's going to follow. In fact, Jesus, interestingly, Jesus said to go, but Bartimaeus decides to follow. Not to go back to where he was, but to follow where Jesus is leading. Bartimaeus is a picture of true discipleship right here at the end of this section on the way of Jesus. He's a true disciple because he does this. He recognized who Jesus was. He believed that Jesus could help him. He runs to Jesus when he's called. He leaves behind his former way of life. And he follows in a new direction. Those five aspects of discipleship recognizing who Jesus is, believing he can help us, running when Jesus calls, leaving behind our former way of life, and then following Jesus in a new direction.
That was a true disciple. Even though he was blind, he could see what it was to follow Jesus, and he acted on it, and his sight was restored. Now, I want you to try this again. This time, close your eyes. You can cover them if you want, if that keeps you from... But this is not um, quite the same thing. I just want you to cover your eyes and imagine something with me. Your ears are listening very intently. And your heart is kind of stirred, just like Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the road, because you realize Jesus is close at hand. So picture yourself as this blind beggar by the side of the road, listening, waiting. You see, we all have something that holds us back. Not necessarily a physical ailment, although it may be. could be any number of things. But the something that is getting in the way of us being the person God calls us to be. And you're listening, and you hear that Jesus is coming. And now just imagine, you hear him coming along the road. Do you dare to call out to him? Do you dare to shout regardless of what other people think? Jesus, have mercy on me. Don't hesitate to keep calling. Because Jesus is full of mercy. He stops. He hears your call. And he calls to you. Imagine this, him calling to you with your name. Sharon, what do you want me to do for you? Your own name. What do you want me to do for you? And so you put everything else aside. Everything that's been part of your former life. You don't get caught up in this smaller cloak or something that defines your former self, your victimhood, or your selfish comforts. You leave it behind and you get up and you go to Jesus and you tell him, Lord, I want. And he hears you. You can open your eyes again. How might you answer that question? Because Jesus is asking it of you today as well. He wants you to see more clearly so that you can follow more faithfully. In the writings of Isaiah, there's such words of hope. Even though Isaiah always said, the people, they're walking in darkness, they're blind, but he reminds them, I will lead you. This is what God says. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths. Ah, the year ahead, there are some unfamiliar paths ahead of us, aren't there? But I will guide them. I will turn their darkness into light before them and make the rough places. There are going to be rough places this year, aren't there? I'm going to make those rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. I will not forsake you, is what God says. This is the good news of sight for us. This is how Jesus wants us to see so that we can follow. Not that we know everything that's coming, because Bartimaeus didn't either. But he knew who Jesus was and who was walking with him. 
One of the ways that Christians have done this kind of focusing in a new year is by something called choosing one word. They've listened to that question Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And they prayed and sought the Holy Spirit, thinking, what is God calling me to focus on for this year? And one way to keep the focus really tight is to choose just one word. In your uh, worship folder, you've got one of these, and I encourage you just to take it out right now. Jesus wants to open the eyes of our hearts. He wants us to see more clearly so that we can follow where he's leading us. Yes, he heals spiritual and physical blindness, but he also opens the eyes of hearts. That's what we prayed as we sang this morning. Be thou my vision. Open the eyes of my heart. And God can do that for us, just as Bartimaeus' eyes were opened and he followed Jesus in a new direction. There's a family in our church who have actually done this in the, this past year. They chose one word, and I want them to come and share some of their experience with it. Glenn and Christy Bowers, if you'd come on up here. I heard some of this story from Glenn and asked him to share, and then he said, well, Christy chose a word too, and so I want them both to be here. And I know it's impacted their family, so they'll be able to talk about that. But how, and how are you challenged to um, choose a word? How did that come about? Well, uh, it started with Christy and I praying a lot. We felt like our family was just kind of going through the motions, and we weren't having an impact. And we decided that we were going to... I read an article by a fellowship of Christian athletes that said, choose one word and focus on that one word for the year. And both Christy and I prayed, and we came up with different words. Uh, my word was transform, because I wanted to transform myself both mentally, physically, and spiritually. And Christy's was faith. And the part that surprised me was how those two supported each other. Mm -hmm. So how did the, you talked about praying about that. How did it come to you? How did you share it with each other in that, and your own word, faith? Um, It came to me during a devotion one morning. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just very clear, faith. And I've struggled throughout the years of my faith going up and down. And this word spoke to me, and he's, the Lord was like, I got you. And I have a slight problem with control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so this word really spoke to me, because in those areas, in those times when I want to control everything, he just reminds me, have faith. Mm-hmm. I have you. Mm-hmm. I'll get you through this. Beautiful how you describe how that word, throughout the year, comes to the focus. And what about for you, Glenn? How did the word transform influence your direction this past year? Uh, Well, the first thing I learned was uh, be careful of what you pray for. Mm. (laughs) And second is God listens. Um, Like Christy, I spent uh, a lot of time in prayer and the word came to me. I I visually saw the word transform. And I spent every day, not not every day, most of the days uh, before work praying about how does God want me to transform mentally, spiritually, and physically. And it's interesting because I I was struggling with the... um, a part in the gospel of, of Mark, which is interesting that it was today, and it was blessed are the meek. And I've always had a really hard time with that specific 
part because I didn't want to be meek. I didn't be, want to be weak or viewed as weak. Mm-hmm. But through prayer and through trying to transform, I came to realize that that isn't what God meant. What he meant was he has a plan and he has a, a grand plan and he has a role for me in that plan. And through my own transformation, I began to see what that plan was. Mm-hmm. So just briefly, what are some of the influences and impacts of having that, those words transform and faith in 2016 for you and your family. You want me to do that? I know you can't so, say it. We okay. don't have all day, but so, I hope you'll hear more of this story later, too. So the, the biggest part, as I mentioned earlier, was I, I felt like our family was just going through the motions, and through trying to transform and understanding what God's plan was for me and for our family, we came to realize that he had a plan for us of reaching to and helping at-risk youth and military veterans. So me being me that I am, uh, I started a business plan for our family. So, <laughs> if you know me, that makes sense. Um, so, we actually created a business plan for our family, and we actually started a family business and are taking the profits from that to donate back to at risk youth and military veterans. Thank you, Christy and Glenn. I mean, you've given us a picture of what this is. We're t- talking today about seeing more clearly, and it sounds like God has opened the eyes of your heart this past year. So, are you going to choose a new year word for this year? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Give me a hand. Thank you. During our time of communion, I'm going to encourage you. It may not happen today. They said they spent time just waiting before God, but you have that handout that helps you to think about this. When you think of next year, January 1st, 2018, what do you want to be transformed in you? What do you want to grow in you? What do you want Jesus to do for you so that at the end of that year you can say, God did this. And you might list some of the character qualities you're searching for and then allow the Holy Spirit to find one word. There might be a lot of ways you can do this. You could write it right in here and put it somewhere. You could put it as the background on your computer. Put it somewhere. But I believe that if God leads you to a word, he will bring it to the surface again and again, just as Glenn and Christy talked about. God wants to give us sight Not only to know the direction we're going in, but to know who is walking with us, who promises us he will never leave us, never forsake us. So don't be afraid to answer that question when Jesus asks you, what do you want me to do for you? Allow the Spirit to transform you in your inner being so you can see him more clearly. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, you are a miracle worker in every way. As you lived on earth and even now, you do miracles great and small. We thank you for the way you bring healing. You brought healing to Bartimaeus. We know you bring healing in other ways. And Lord, we thank you that you're a miracle worker in our hearts. That you do a work in our hearts to help us to focus more clearly. Not to just be sitting alongside the road watching you go by, but to get up and to run when you call and to follow you in a new direction. We thank you for the gift of this, Father. We thank you that you've promised to be our companion on the journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.